Many of us have either read or seen the movie Christine. And if you haven't, you have at the most heard about Stephen King's novel about a car that terrorizes anyone who threatens its owner. Is there truth behind this tale? Can cars or other forms of transportation truly become haunted? Or are there ghosts that are so connected with their automobile that they have chosen to remain with them for an eternity? I'm Blair Newby, and this is Chatham Can Hauntings. Kent has a long, rich transportation history, from the Chatham Wagon Company to Milner Carriage Works, and of course, the manufacturing of the Grey Dort. There is truly so much to discuss. But are there more stories from Chatham Kent that deal with transportation? Perhaps some that are unexplainable? Joining us to discuss these tales are Sheila Gibbs, Lisa Gilbert, and Jim Gilbert authors, historians, and organizers of Ghost Walks of Chatham-Kent. Our first ghostly traveler's tale is Garage Gremlins. So this story is, uh, we're, we're including this as part of our ghostly transportation, ghostly vehicles uh, theme. But in fact, there's nobody going anywhere in this story, but it does involve vehicles. And it involves the story of a man who lived uh, out on Charing Cross Road. And he loved to fix cars, especially foreign sports cars. And that's what he did as a hobby. So he had a garage on his property and he would do that. Well, of course, if you're a car mechanic, you would know that you need to have these manuals that, that tell you how to fix various things. And so he had lots of them in his workshop. After a time, they kept going missing or they'd get rearranged or just people were messing with his manuals. And he complained about it to his family, but they all insisted, look, we haven't touched them. We haven't gone anywhere near your manuals. So this went on for some time and it was very annoying to him that these manuals were always being interfered with. And so one day he was uh, working away and he couldn't find the manual for this particular vehicle that he was working on. And he spent all kinds of time looking for it, couldn't find it. Then his wife called him in to supper. And so in frustration, he just yelled, you know, to no one in particular, all right then, fix it yourself. And he went in and had supper. And when he came out after supper, there was the manual that he was looking for out on the table. And it was turned to the exact page that he needed to fix the particular problem he was working on. So was it a garage gremlin? Who knows? but it certainly was a helpful gremlin in that case anyway. 
And that's the mysterious story of the Garage Gremlins. Up next, the incredible story of the haunted car. Over the years, there have been a number of ghost stories that have come my way that mention sounds of revelry, as if a party was going on somewhere else, either in the house or a building. The Capitol Theater story comes to mind, as well as one about a house on the Thames River, uh, where neither husband nor wife wanted to mention to the other that they had heard laughter, glasses clinking, and movements from room to room downstairs. And so it's not an unusual occurrence for this to take place. There was another story um, about a house on number two highway where the couple thought a chivalry was being held for them, but when they got downstairs, nobody was there. Of all these stories, the following one is certainly unique as it involves a vehicle, not a house, and although it happened in the late 1960s, it has remained with the man who experienced it all of those years as vividly and dramatically as it happened. This fellow came up uh, when we were in the mall selling tickets for our annual ghost walk, and he, he came up, and I had known him for a number of years, and he was the last one that I ever expected would have a ghost story because he was interested in sports, and he seemed to be totally removed and, and not involved in any of this. But something happened that changed him. This time, we were on the other side of Chatham on Highway 2, going towards Tilbury at the S-curve near the Dillon Side Road. It was a beautiful summer night, he recounted to me, and Larry, not his real name, had visiting his girlfriend who lived on the third concession, Raleigh Township. He had gotten a ride out of town but hadn't arranged for a ride back. It was quite late, after midnight, and about six miles to walk home. Larry decided to cut over one concession east in the hopes of hitching a ride back to Chatham on Number 2 Highway. Luck wasn't in his favor. Though as the road was deserted, so he started to walk from the Drake Road, as we said, about about six miles. As he was approaching the S-curve, he saw... Coming from the east, headed west, strange lights from a car heading towards him on the road. He suddenly had a very bad feeling about this approaching vehicle because it was traveling really slowly. And something about the lights didn't look right. And his vision was sharp. He jumped in the ditch and from this vantage point, peered up to watch the vehicle go by. The vehicle was going so slowly that it seemed almost to be floating. There was no sound of the tires of the road or of the engine. It was a big old car typical of the chrome-laden 1950s model. But he couldn't tell if it was a Chevy or a Ford or what precise make. When it came even with him, he could hear the sound of people talking and laughing. But he couldn't make out any visible uh, facial features. But because there was kind of a fog in the car, 
and he couldn't make out anything other than he knew there was a car going by and there was people in the car and they were laughing and had a radio on. There were only shadows and an eerie light emanating from the interior as if the dome light was on accentuating the mist inside that obscure and the ghostly figures. The vision passed by as if in slow motion, and he simply couldn't comprehend what he was seeing. Here was a vehicle filled with fog and noise as if a party was going on, yet there was absolutely no sound from the vehicle itself. How could that happen? He was so badly spooked that he ran all the way home. And he has never forgotten this incident because it happened many years ago when when he was telling us this story uh, up in the mall. It had been maybe 40 years since that happened. Once he started telling the story, Larry couldn't stop himself. And at the end of it, he seemed very relieved as if he had kept it to himself for fear of being mocked. This or extraordinary experiences is amazing in its detail and its resonance with the other similar stories that we mentioned at the beginning of our series. Now, the way he told this story, um, and um, Sheila was there, Sheila Gibbs, a recounter of most of the ghost stories that we're telling, she, he was, she was with us. Uh, and she listened very carefully, too. And it's one of her favorite stories. Um, And I guess the reason you you had to be there to hear what he was saying, because it was so honest and so realistic that it really affected him. And he remembered the exact details of what happened on this lonely night uh, back 40 years ago. And um, it it really made an impression on him. And as I said, he was the kind of person who would not be expected to tell this kind of story, but it really did. So ghost stories, spirit stories, they can happen to anyone. And that's the tale of the haunted car. Next, we have the ghostly tale of the traveler's surprise. Chatham is actually well known as the site of a skirmish, or rather not a major battle, in the War of 1812. And so there have been reports about soldiers having appeared in the past along this route. And certainly the American general, William Henry Harrison, pursued the British, General Proctor and his native allies, up the Thames. And so it's not surprising that this story has some connection, perhaps, to uh, a retreat and soldiers from the War of 1812. They're said to be active to a family living further out on Colburn Extension. Now, as the teller of this story stressed to me, he had experienced psychic phenomena all his life. But when he was 21, he experienced a series of phenomenal incidents which he interpreted as ghosts. He arrived home late one night from an extended trip away and gratefully collapsed into bed, being exhausted from many hours of travel. However, his rest was short-lived 
as he had barely fallen asleep when he was awakened by a series of astounding events. The waterbed upon which he was laying began to vibrate strongly. A strange cloud circled over his head, and he felt his feet being raised up. Something took control of his movements, and he lay helplessly as his legs pulled toward him until he found himself on his side. For the next 35 or 40 seconds, a self-contained white orb appeared. Bizarrely, it cast no shadows, nor did it illumine the area around him. Instead, the entire atmosphere of the room took on an otherworldly feeling, unlike anything he had ever experienced before. It was inexplicable. When he finally shared this amazing episode with his older brother, he learned that he, too, had felt a presence in his bed, which he identified as a soldier from the War of 1812, who seemed none too pleased to have a new bedmate. In fact, this young man refused to sleep in his bed for an entire summer and even continued to camp out in the backyard deep into the chilly fall just to avoid further encounters with his rather rambunctious friends. But interestingly, and what I think is important to take from this particular experience, is that after he got over it, years for years, he decided to use this experience to his advantage and to expand his reading into the areas of quantum physics, metaphysics, parapsychology, and meditation. He now credits this frightening time as a catalyst to his personal growth. And he's convinced that everyone has the ability to perceive these phenomena, but not everyone develops it. His description of this ghostly encounter, though, remains one of the most detailed and electrifying that any of I have ever heard. And those are the ghostly tales for this week's episode. But stick around for a roundtable discussion featuring our Ghost Walks of Chatham Kent partners, Sheila Gibbs and Jim and Lisa Gilbert. You know, something, uh, Sheila, your, your last story about that young man who experienced lots of things in his house and it led him to uh, to explore a lot of other things. You know, and I think that's a, a very important part of ghost stories, spirit stories, whatever. Um, you know, and I like the fact that he said that everybody is capable of experiencing these things, uh, but not not everybody is sensitive or takes enough time to explore those things. And in my readings of different uh, famous psychics who've written books on the subject, they all talk about the fact that they re resisted this. Uh, some called it a gift. Sometimes they thought it was a curse initially because they were being inundated with these messages or feelings or, depending on the type of psychic they are, uh, it, it could be different things. And that really, really bothered them. And they didn't want to have to tune into it all. 
But eventually, they realized that this was something that they had an obligation to do, and they felt more of a responsibility, and they developed that. And they all said that we all can do this. We can all develop like a a sixth sense where if you meditate, if you learn to concentrate, if you can open yourself up, I think that's probably the biggest obstacle. We all have these filters that we resist thinking about things that just don't fit into our perception of the world, if you can relax that and open up yourself, maybe you will have some of these experiences and they're open to everyone. Well, yes. And, you know, ghost stories have been told for hundreds of years, yeah. right? Yes. And, you know, here we are, we think that we're so modern and so advanced, but I, I feel that um, when you look around at the various cities that have ghost stories, in fact, I don't think there are very many go- uh, cities that don't have ghost stories. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I've always been convinced that what we have discovered here in Chatham Kent is just like the, the typical iceberg, the tip of it. And there's so much more out there if people will be willing to to admit to it because again, there's still this certain, you know, feeling that it's you're strange if you have these experiences. But uh, I do think that you could probably walk down almost any street in Chatham, and if you could knock on the doors and ask people to speak honestly, you would find. And, and that's what we found out through our, through our tours. Yes, you'd that find people come up. That's right, all all the time. And I think that's a part of the reason they want to come on these walks. Yes, because then it it sort of uh, verifies. They're not strange that there's lots of other people who've had these same strange things happen to them. Because after the tour, sometimes we'll ask people how many people have had experiences. Yes. And you know, the, the hands go up. Almost everybody has some sort of experience. Exactly. You know? And exactly. I, I think, Lisa, you mentioned to me one time about, uh, I don't know who it was, an author you were saying that, the more we become technically involved, there's that high touch. Yes, high, high tech, high touch. High, exactly. high tech, high touch. Exactly. You're you know right. that, like I said, um, you'd think that we would, in this modern age, that we wouldn't be interested in ghosts. But I think it's the complete opposite. Oh, I think people are eternally fascinated by this, the otherworldly stories. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, just to go back to Sheila's point about um, developing that in yourself, um, and most most people don't. And I think that's why, you know, one of the things I think about, I was thinking about when you were talking uh, there is that is that what you always say, Jim, is that it's not places that are haunted, mm-hmm. but people that mm-hmm. are haunted. Yeah, because really some people that. have been able to develop that. But I think, I think, that it, it's probably true that we all have it in us to be able to develop that. To- because some people live in a house and there, there's all sorts of things going on. Exactly. But another people, uh, another person can move in and have nothing happen to them. And they say, oh, no, there's no ghosts here. Right. But mm-hmm. I think that's... That's very true. And I mean, I've been confronted with that in, in doing some presentations where I was talking about one particular house out in, in uh, far away in the country here. And uh, the lady, another lady who had lived there before, came up to me quite indignantly and said, there are no spirits in that house. I lived there for 40 years. There was nothing there. <laughs> if it doesn't happen to me, it doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you've got to say, sorry, but everybody's different. Everybody's different. 
tell her that, well, you're not sensitive enough. That's why. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, that'll go over well. That'll go over well. I fully admit I'm not sensitive enough. Yeah, I don't think I am either. Except but. you're the one who had the the uh, pumpkins fall off the back of your truck, and you still can't account how that I, I happened. I know. Well, I don't know. I think it was the truck that was haunted. <laughs> oh, well, then you've got a Christine. <laughs> That's there you right. go. <laughs> And that's it for this week's episode of Chatham Kent Hauntings. Special thanks to our Ghost Walks of Chatham Kent partners, Sheila Gibbs and Jim and Lisa Gilbert, and to our producers, Josh Brody and Spencer Hamilton. Until next haunting.